the passage that Jen read was the compassion of Jesus to this crowd of people. When we read a story like this in the Gospels, we have to remember that the disciples are in training. And I think sometimes we miss that. For example, a famous story that we've studied, and guys, I don't know if the mic is crackling, but if need be, I'll just grab the handheld. So, um, a famous story we've studied this winter was John chapter four, where Jesus says, I need to go through Samaria. He goes through Samaria, he meets uh, a woman, and so our assumption is that when he says, I need to go through Samaria, uh, we assume that what he, he's meaning is, I need to meet this woman, I need to share the good news with her and her whole village. And of course, that was a really important part of the story. But we also need to see that Jesus was taking his 12 disciples into Samaria to train them. And if you go to the end of chapter 4, what you'll find him saying to his disciples, it's almost like, now's the moment. Now's the moment that he's going to fulfill his purpose in Samaria when he says to them, don't you see, the harvest is ripe. Look at the fields pray that God would raise up workers for the harvest. And of course, Jesus intended for them to be the workers of the harvest. When we read this story of what we call the feeding of the 5,000, we, we have to see it as a training moment. So when we begin our passage, what we have is, is the apostles, the disciples have just come back from their first ministry without Jesus. He has sent them out in pairs, so six pairs, making 12. So they've just gone out and done that for the first time, probably with a lot of fear and trembling. And so when we start reading in our passage, they've just returned from this ministry trip. So it says, the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Which I find a little bit interesting because what is the focus of their report? The focus of their report isn't the people that they had met or ministered to, or people who had responded to their message and come to faith in the good news, people who'd repented of their sin and turned to God, what's their report about? Jesus, we want to tell you what we did. The report was about them, it was about their accomplishments, it was about their ministry, and I almost wonder if in that moment the Lord was like, yeah, and now we're going to learn the next lesson. So they've just returned from ministry. Jesus recognizes that they're tired, and yet there's all of these people coming and going. We see that in, uh, boy, I should have worn my glasses. In the next verse, it says, it says, because so many people were coming and going and they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So here's Jesus showing compassion to his disciples. They've returned from the ministry trip and he wants them to, to rest. And yet he knows there's an important lesson that's about to take place. Why is that? I would say it's because the disciples are a lot like us. When it comes to people and loving people and having the kind of compassion that Jesus had, we are actually more like the disciples. Where it's not about the people, it's about us. So let me show you some examples. Matthew chapter 15, here's a story where uh, Jesus had gone north of the land of Israel and there was this Canaanite woman, it says, who was following Jesus, had found out who he was, heard his reputation, and he, she was crying out to Jesus to heal her child. And this is what the disciples said, all right? Here, here's the 12 disciples. Send her away, she keeps crying out after us. There was no intention on their part to try and help her 
They didn't advocate for her. They didn't go to Jesus and say, Jesus, why don't you help her? Ultimately, Jesus would help this woman. No thanks to the disciples. How about Mark chapter 10? People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. In in other words, the disciples were saying, Jesus doesn't have time for you and your kids. You read on in the story and you find out that Jesus rebuked them in return. They rebuked the parents. Jesus rebuked his disciples and said, let the little children come to me. How about Luke chapter 9? We saw someone driving out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he's not one of us. You hear the us and them? Here's a story from the same, just a few verses later. They're traveling through Samaria, a place where Jewish people uh, hated to travel. They hated the Samaritan people. And yet here's Jesus, purposely, I'm sure, traveling through Samaria. But there was a village in Samaria that wouldn't let them come in. They wouldn't welcome them. And here's the disciples. Can you just sense the compassion here? Do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? Hmm. John chapter 4, story I just referred to. Jesus sitting uh, by the well with a woman, a Samaritan woman. His disciples returned, were surprised to find him talking with a woman. They hadn't learned the heart of Jesus quite yet. And then here's Peter when Jesus was arrested, drew his sword, struck the high priest servant, cut off his right ear. And you know the Lord's response to Peter was, put your sword away. He picked up the man's ear and compassionately healed him, even though he was under arrest. So here is a story in which Jesus is going to train his disciples. So uh, they, they get in the boat, travel across the Sea of Galilee to a solitary place, but I think it says verse 33, many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got, a, got there ahead of them When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them. So question for you, do you think that Jesus knew he's the son of God? He knows everything. Do you think he knew what was about to happen when he said to his disciples, let's get in the boat, we'll find a solitary place, we'll get you some rest. Did Jesus know that they were about to be inundated by yet another crowd? I think he did. Now, we don't know how the first part of the story plays out. We have Jesus teaching the the people as we'll see it's possible that the disciples did go to a solitary place maybe they 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 walked down the beach a ways and had a chance to rest it's possible We're, we're not really sure but here's the lesson here's the opportunity and I'm going to call this a test of their love when they've poured out their hearts they've poured out their energy doing ministry and they are tired but now they are confronted with another crowd Has the Lord ever done this in your life? When you thought you'd given all you could give, when you thought you were so tired, but there's a knock on the door, or there's a text message, or the phone rings, and there's someone else who needs something, there's some other opportunity that the Lord puts before you. These things are like a test of our love. And I think for the disciples, it was exposing exactly what's been exposed in my own heart so often, that my love is lacking. Of course, here we read in these verses that Jesus had compassion on this crowd. He says they were like sheep without a shepherd, or in other words, they're like lost sheep. Someone needs to take care of these people. Someone needs to help these people. Someone needs to feed these people. Jesus had compassion on them. We don't read of the disciples having compassion on them. 
And you can almost read between the lines here, and especially later in the story, when the disciples come to Jesus, and what do they say? Send them away. No concern for, their, for the people, no concern about their hunger. Just send them away. Jesus has compassion. The disciples are just tired. They're tired of people. They don't want to be bothered, it would seem. This is a test of their love. Jesus, of course, passes this test. We know, of course, he's God. Uh, but the compassion we see here is so consistent with the life of Jesus all through the Gospels and from what we know of God in the Bible. Jesus, of course, is the Son of God. He is the one who demonstrates, shows us what God is like. And we know, and isn't it, it's happened again, Matt. The last time you were service leader, you read a verse that was perfectly in line with the, the message of today. And you, you talked about God's love for us. Well, that is so true from Scripture. God is love. And God loves sinners like us. And Jesus is putting this love on display because he's God in the flesh. I want you to understand that when we talk about Jesus being the savior of sinners, we tend to think, well, I'm not sure I am a sinner because I haven't murdered anyone. I haven't committed any, any, any crimes. I'm actually, I think I'm a pretty good person. I keep my nose clean. I don't, you know, I, I don't hurt other people. But here's where we have to remember what sin is. Sin isn't just doing really bad things that everyone knows are wrong. Sin also includes the ways in which we fail to live up to God's standard of things like love or mercy or forgiveness. That's why in Romans chapter 3 it says we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What's more glorious than God's love? but we've all fallen short of that. We've all failed to love people the way that God loves people. So yeah, you've got that coworker that you can't stand and thankfully you've never murdered them. Good, that's, that's great, that's a great start. But to be like God means that you love them and I mean truly love them. That there's something in your heart that wells up with compassion for them, that you see through all of those frustrations and those things they say and those things they do. And, and maybe you begin to see them for, for what they've experienced in their life and maybe the, the home that they grew up in or the pain that they've suffered. This is why we are sinners. Yes, all of us have done, said, thought things that were wrong, but we've also failed to do things that met the standard of God's character and of course, we were made, human beings were made in the image of God. We were meant to live up to the standard of God, even in areas like this of his compassion. So Jesus, of course, shows us what true compassion, true love looks like. No doubt Jesus perhaps was tired, as he often was as well, but he didn't run from the crowd. He moved to the crowd because he loved them. Notice the end of verse 34. He says... They're like sheep without a shepherd. And then it tells us what he did next. He began teaching them many things. Now you might remember from last week we were talking about the good news, kind of an introductory message. And I showed you this verse from Luke chapter four where Jesus said, I must proclaim the good news. That is why I was sent. Or if you had the whole verse, I must proclaim the good news in other towns because that is why I was sent. You see the priority of the message. We're gonna to talk today about compassion and showing kindness, but for Jesus, the priority was the message. When he saw this crowd and had compassion on them and saw them as sheep without a shepherd, 
His answer, his solution to the problem was an, I'll feed these people and send them away. He knew that the greatest need for this crowd of people who were like lost sheep was to teach them the good news. Don't you think that was part of the many things that Jesus taught them? He taught them the word of God. He taught them the message of God and of God's kingdom. I'm sure he taught them the good news of God's forgiveness, his invitation to them to return to him through repentance and faith. That was the priority. And Jesus, again, is training his disciples to see that that was the first thing. Now, as the day draws to a close, verse 35, by this time it was late in the day, so now his disciples arrive on the scene, not sure where they were. They came to him and said, this is a remote place. It's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Now, that actually doesn't sound that bad, does it? I think we're intended to hear in this story a lack of compassion, but it actually doesn't sound that bad. In fact, it sounds like the kinds of things that we might say. We're just being pragmatic here. This is just a simple way of solving the problem. Here's all these people, they're all hungry. What's the best solution? Send them away. It doesn't seem that bad to us, but I want you to see what Jesus does next. In fact, I would say he's testing their love yet again. Verse 37. Here's the Lord's answer to this solution offered by the disciples. Send the people away. His answer to them is you give them something to eat. Don't you love that? You give them something to eat. Was Jesus being cruel here? Was he playing games with the disciples? I mean, what did they actually have to give? Well, this is where this story becomes a lesson in kindness. Because watch how this unfolds now. First of all, Jesus turns the onus over to his disciples. What is he doing there? What he's saying to them is, see, look at these people. Don't just send them away. Look at them. See them for who they are. Look at their need. Feel the weight of this for a moment. Think about what you could potentially do about this. Isn't that our problem so often, even as believers? That we don't take the time to feel the weight of someone else's pain and need. But when Jesus says, you give them something to eat, he's forcing them to begin to wrestle with the need. And what could they possibly do to solve it? Well, of course, they answer, it would take more than half a year's wages. We know that there was, was 5,000 men here, it tells us at the end of the story. No doubt there were women and potentially children there as well, so who knows how many people. Maybe there were 10,000 people here. Uh, In those days, a loaf of bread, a simple meal, cost a lot more than it does for us. So when they say uh, it would take half a year's wages, they're, they're not exaggerating. That's how much money it would have taken to feed that many people a meal. So that was their question. How are we gonna do this? Are we gonna spend that much money on bread and give it to them to eat? So what does Jesus do? Verse 38. My eyes are getting better now. I can see the numbers somehow. How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. So what's the next lesson here in this story? The next lesson is to take some inventory 
and have a look at what you actually have. Again, this is where we so often fail to recognize the resources that we have to make a difference in someone else's life. I don't know why it is, but we can live in this affluent society and we can have all that we have, and yet somehow we can feel like, I don't have very much. I don't, ha- I don't have enough to give. But if we really took some inventory and thought about, well, well, how much money do I actually have? How much stuff do I have? Have I got stuff that I don't need that I could sell and actually share that and have something to give to the Lord or to his work or to some person in need? How much time do I have? I mean, I I fill my life with with all kinds of things, some of them necessary, some of them not. But what if I took inventory and realized, no, I actually have, I've got five or 10 hours a week that I could give to serving other people, to serving God. If we were honest, if we were able to take inventory, this is what Jesus is saying to the disciples, take some inventory here. You say you got nothing, well, what do you have? Well, it wasn't much, let's be honest five loaves, two fish. Not sure how big the loaves were, but there were actually, there were 12 disciples and one Jesus. So how far would the five loaves and two fish have gone just for them? It might have been easy for them to assume that, I'm not sure we even have enough for us, let alone feeding all of these other people. But that's what Jesus said. Take some inventory. What do you actually have? Is there anything here to share? So they count them out, five loaves and two fish. Verse 39, Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So notice here what Jesus is doing. He's getting the disciples involved. In spite of their reluctance, what was their, what was their solution? Send them away. What was Jesus' solution? You're going to get involved. You're going to help now. So he takes inventory. What do you have? Five loaves, two fish. Then he gets them seating the people so it's almost like now he's getting the disciples to set the table for a meal isn't he he's he's about to offer hospitality to this this crowd of people and he's actually giving the disciples the opportunity to participate so you get the people to sit down in groups verse verse 40 so they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he, Jesus, gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. Now, if you know this story, you know that this is a miracle that somehow as Jesus gives thanks, prays for the food, blesses the food, then he starts to break the loaves. Somehow it's just multiplying they got some baskets, I'm sure. We know there's at least 12 baskets at the end, so they're going to distribute in baskets. Every time Jesus breaks a loaf, somehow there's not, he breaks it in half, there's four pieces. I don't know how this happened, but it was a miracle. But who is it that serves the meal? Jesus provides the meal. He takes the five loaves, two fish, miraculously multiplies them. But did you see it there? He gave them, the food that is, to his disciples to distribute to the people so how did they do that how did they distribute the food imagine this oh they just started chucking loaves of bread into the crowd didn't they probably not that's probably not the way Jesus did hospitality 
So imagine you've been given, Jesus hands over this big basket, it's overflowing now with loaves of bread, and he gives you the task, okay, I want you to distribute this to the people. Well, what does that mean? It means that they, they take the basket, and now they get up close, right? And they're getting right in people's faces, and they bring the basket, and they're speaking now. They're looking each of these people in the eye, and they're distributing the food that way. The crowd of people that the disciples didn't have the time of day for, they had no energy left for, they had no compassion for, now Jesus hands them a gift for the people and says, get up close now, meet them, look at them in the eye, speak to them face to face, and share this meal with them. Don't you think that's awesome? They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. Why 12? I mean, do you think when the disciples handed over their few loaves and their their couple of fish, and they're like, oh, great. So here we were supposed to come away to a solitary place and get some rest. So Jesus brings us to his place. He probably knew this was going to happen. There's this huge crowd of people. So we don't get the rest we're supposed to have. Now Jesus is going to take the little bit of food we have. He's going to give it to someone else. This is a great plan, Jesus. I love being your disciple. When everyone has eaten and everyone is filled and the call goes out, there's, there's seconds. Everyone is filled and they collect the leftovers and every disciple is holding a basket. Don't you think that's awesome? You see, the love of God doesn't just extend to the crowd of people who are like lost sheep. The love of God extends to his own children as well. And we might think that for me to give more, to serve more, I just just couldn't do it. And what God is saying is, if you will give what you have to me, your your resources, your money, your possessions, your, 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 your talents, your time, I'm gonna look after you. I'm going to provide for you. This was a beautiful lesson in kindness. Do you see what Jesus is doing? He's training the disciples. So when we read these stories in the gospel, don't just read them as a cool miracle. See them for what they are. These episodes are Jesus training his, transforming his disciples. And as we read those stories, we should see ourselves, just like I've tried to do here this morning, we should see ourselves in the disciples. They're a lot like me. I'm a lot like them. I find it hard to be generous. I find it hard to give more, especially when I'm tired. So what are the lessons of this story? Well, here's the first lesson. I actually need more than a training session from Jesus to be transformed from one of those selfish disciples into someone like him. Where is this compassion that he had? How am I going to get that? So that when I'm put in a difficult situation with difficult people that I don't naturally love, I don't want to serve them or help them in any way, how is is that going to change about me? And that, of course, is why we're talking about the good news. The good news of Jesus is that God not only saves us and forgives us from our sin, but he changes us from the inside out. 
Just a few weeks ago, we actually saw the very same miracle in the Gospel of John, but Jesus followed up the miracle with the teaching. You remember that weird teaching about how we got to eat his flesh and drink his blood? Would have been so offensive to the Jewish people, but he's saying this. Here's what you, here's what you really need. To be transformed, you need to be transformed from the inside out. What you need is Jesus living inside you, just like the food you had for breakfast this morning has now become part of you. It's become your cells, it's become your blood, it's become you. And to take in Jesus by faith is what the good news is all about. He offers himself to us. He gave his life, he died on the cross so that our sins could be forgiven. If we would repent, turn from our sin, trust in Jesus Christ, we can have Jesus living on the inside, alive in us. It's not enough to just read these, these stories and say, I'm gonna try harder. I'm gonna do better. I'm not gonna be like those disciples. No, the only way we can change is through the good news of Jesus, the transformation that he offers us. Number two, in this transformation, we want to see as Jesus sees and love as Jesus loves. Now, I've been on this journey that we've talked about, the discipleship path. I've been following Jesus for a lot of years, and yet I still find I am so much like the disciples. My heart so often is so cold, so lacking in love and compassion towards others. And I'm so glad for the promise of the Bible that, that the one who's begun a good work in me is going to complete that work and yet this should be our deep longing. That as we have come to Christ for salvation, we've come past the cross. We're no longer one who's, uh, who's looking the other way or running away from God. We've come to Jesus, we've come to the cross, we've trusted him for salvation and now we're followers of Jesus having this transformed heart and yet still in need of continual transformation. So there's two things that have to happen. Number one, I need to look at Jesus and long to be more like him. I want to be more like you, Jesus. But the second thing, is, I need to recognize that the miracle that's needed in my life is the miracle that only God can do. He is the one who's going to transform me. But we can begin by asking this question, do I see people the way God sees them? Do I love people the way God loves them? Or Change it up. Do I see people the way Jesus sees them? Do I love people the way Jesus loves them? Finally, this one last lesson, and that is the power of reinforcing the good news with kindness. Have you ever discovered the power of reinforcing the good news with kindness? There's been a lot of debate in, in the church for the last hundred years or even more among some who would say all we need to do, all we must do, and nothing else is preach the good news. That's all we do. Any of this social kindness stuff, we don't do that. We just preach the gospel. I've heard that from Christians throughout my life who thought they were being really faithful to God. We don't do anything else. All we do is preach the gospel. Then there's other people who say, no, no, you know, the gospel's kind of offensive. We don't want to preach at people. We're just going to show kindness. That's what we do. And you realize there's actually a problem with both sides. Probably a lot of us in our church might, well, maybe there's some who would be inclined to go either way. The problem with either side is now you're not following Jesus, right? Right? 
Because what we see so clearly in the Gospels again and again and again and again is Jesus prioritizing the message and reinforcing the message with kindness. Isn't that what we see? Every story, every day of Jesus' life, he prioritized the message of the good news, he reinforced the message with kindness. And that is what we must do as followers of Jesus. I don't want to be a church that says, all we do is preach the gospel. We don't have time for any of that kindness stuff. Wrong. I don't want us to ever become the church that says, we have stopped preaching the gospel. It's offensive to our world. We're just going to focus on showing the love of God. Folks, if that were the case, we'd no longer be a Christian church, to be honest with you. We have to do both. Now, why would we want to reinforce the good news message in our time? Number one, it's because we live in a culture and society that is highly suspicious of us or anyone else who's religious. Our culture is suspicious of, of our, our religious beliefs. So reinforcing the good news with kindness helps to overcome that suspicion, that hesitancy that people might have about us. Why else would we do it? We also would do it because showing kindness puts the gospel on display. Here's how Jesus said it in Matthew chapter five. You're the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Our light, the true light, requires the message of the good news which Jesus prioritized but what Jesus is saying is the light is enhanced and strengthened. It's something visible that people can see when we show kindness to them. The gospel, of course, is the kindness of God. You're a sinner. I'm a holy God. We, we can't be in the same family unless somehow I can make you holy. I am going to show you my kindness by coming and giving my life for you, dying on the cross so that you can be saved and forgiven of your sins. You can be holy, you can be mine. That's a message of, of kindness, and when we show kindness in our lives, it puts the gospel on display. It reinforces the message. Paul said, thanks be to God who uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. We are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. And in Psalm 34, it says, taste and see that the Lord is good. So here, here's my challenge for us as a church as we head into another week. Not only do we want to prioritize the message, and I know for some of us we're terrified to speak up about our faith, to say anything about it, we're embarrassed, or we think we'll say it wrong. So we can do this. We, 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 can, we can show kindness to others to open doors to share the good news. We can be an aroma. We can smell, isn't this weird? We can smell like Jesus in our schools and in our workplace, in our ministry, in our neighborhoods. We can smell like Jesus. We can live in such a way that through our lives, people get to taste and see that the Lord is good. My prayer is that we won't stop there, that as people smell Jesus on us and taste Jesus through us, that God will give us the boldness to share Jesus and share the good news. What keeps us from doing this? 
I mean, I don't know if it seems like this to you, but it seems like this to me. <laughs> like, it's, this is just a no-brainer. Like, obviously, this is, what, this is what Jesus did. This is what we should do. What keeps us from doing this in our lives? And I wonder if the ultimate question for us is, is Jesus enough? Is Jesus enough for us? To follow Jesus and he leads us into hard places and hard circumstances and towards people that we don't naturally love. Is it enough to say that we, we love Jesus? You see, if all we have are five loaves and two fish, but we also have Jesus, then we have far, far more than five loaves and two fish. And the Lord can loosen our grip on those things that we have that's, that so easily could be offered and shared with others for the purpose of sharing the good news, if he is our greatest love. So as we close and as we think about these things, we're gonna sing about that. We're gonna sing about how Christ is enough. So we'll sing this closing song and then Matt's gonna come close our service. <laughs>